0: What is going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Paying to Profits. My name is Samson Jagorish. I'm your host. And on each one of these episodes, we're unpacking the wisdom and knowledge to help you guys save time and level up as you continue to work on gaining more freedom, more money, more relationship, and more purpose. And today I have my friend Justin Spath. He is an entrepreneur. He's got background in food and beverage and in real estate, and he's doing some land consulting. And he's a man of God, and we know each other because we're in a men's group and a Bible study. You guys will probably start to find a theme here and bring a lot of those guys onto this podcast because we're doing life together, and it's awesome. But uh, we're just excited to have him here. Thanks for being here, bro, and we just can't wait to unpack your wisdom. So welcome to the show.
1: Yeah, thanks, brother, for having me on. Look yeah. forward to it. Appreciate so it.
0: First podcast.
1: First podcast. Yeah, yeah. you nervous? No, no, I'm Good yeah pretty excited it yeah. was <laughs> awesome man yeah.
0: well i know you're a competitor man i know you compete you do some triathlons uh like long distance like endurance type stuff yeah are you training for anything right now
1: um i am i'm in a off-season triathlon training okay. um so i have a couple on the books for next year um short distance triathlons and then trying to work into more half iron man iron man triathlons what's um, a, what's off-season training look like um it's a, it's a lighter mix of kind of those endurance um, exercises, swimming, running, biking, but I like to throw in CrossFit. So yeah. that's when I, like when I got back into fitness five or six years ago, I took a, had a little gap, little hiatus, but five or six years ago, got into CrossFit and really kind of pulled back my love for competition, my love for sport and exercise. And so I really need to CrossFit two days a week, you know, get yeah. those weights in um, and then work in longer runs, longer rides. And then swimming, which has always been humbling for me. Um, <laughs> dude, I can attest to that. I, I was a pretty good swimmer growing up, but my daughter is phenomenal. You
0: you saw her out yeah. there. She's tall and lanky. and Good for her. Yeah, I know. But she's been wanting to swim because it's off-season for her. So we've been going to the wreck. Yep. <laughs> oh, my gosh, dude. I'm getting crushed. She beat rushed. you. Yeah. I took off. I'm thinking I'm just smoking it, and I look look back, and she's just right behind me, like a lockstep. So I'm yeah. like, "Yeah, you just go ahead. Daddy's got to fix his goggles." You know. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yep. I'm just getting smoked. Have you always been an endurance athlete? Um, I started running uh, trail trail marathons and trail races a few years ago, okay. um, and have always really appreciated what running does for me mentally, mm-hmm. um, and then appreciated what the ultra community is all about and so I haven't actually run an ultra marathon yet which is anything over a standard distance marathon I've done some long trail marathon um, yeah. things that were pretty intense um, but when you go through that that long endurance process just the ups and downs that you experience and the the need to just go one step further and every time you're in that, in that bottom you, you know that you're going to come back out of it and yeah. so I've always liked that as a comparative to life, you know, yeah. that you're, you're, sometimes you're feeling great. Sometimes you're, you're in those lows, but you're always going to come back out um, keep going. and you go through those cycles. A lot of those cycles through like an endurance run.
0: Yeah. When you run in an ultra or something like that, a 50 K, I mean, yeah. geez Louise. Well, that's a good transition too for, for business. Business can feel that way. At times you're crushing it, you're on top and then something sideswipes you, uh, the economy corrects a COVID incident or something like that, you know? So how do you, how do you prepare for those types of situations in the middle of an ultra marathon? And I'm going to see if we can try to impart some wisdom that we can carry over into running a business, but how do you prepare for the suck? You know, how do you, how do you train for that?
1: Yeah. Great, great question. Um, yeah, business always, I mean, startup or entrepreneurship or business is always a roller coaster, yeah. right? I mean, some days it's, yeah, top of the world, everything is going right, tomorrow is going to be fantastic. And then you come in tomorrow and something hits you in the face. You know, you're yeah. like, you didn't expect it. Um, you just have to, you have to react to it. Um, so I think you know, all of that training, if you look at like holistic life, like exercise and business and just doing those hard things prepares you for more hard things. Mm. Um, you know, so I think that's, that's how you train for it. It's not, it's not the first time you felt it. And so you know how to work through the process, you know how to overcome it and get to the next stage. And so I think, yeah, exercise and sports really complement that well, because yeah, if you're, if you're dying and you're hurting, um, you know, you've you callous yourself to get through that hard moment to get into the next good moment.
0: Yeah, I I call it intentional suffering. Yeah, and we don't do enough. Of, at least societally, we don't do enough of that. You know, like people think things are hard, and if everything is a, a if you've never experienced hard or intentionally suffered, then everything feels like a level ten emergency, right? But you do a set of ten by ten on squats or a, a CrossFit workout like a Fran for time. And you feel that lung burn, that edge of what feels like death at the moment, you realize that everything, everything is all about perspective, right? You're going to make it, you're going to be okay. You're not going to die. And, you know, I talked to, I had enough you guys that are Navy SEALs, you know, and they get into this mindset when they're doing these deep dives or these crazy, um, you know, they got to carry weights and float in the water and stuff like that, where they're just like, they're not going to let me die. I might get really close, but odds are they're going to. Revive me. Not some yeah. people do die, yeah. you know, but when you compare it to that, you think about it, it's like, this is not life or death, right? right. And like, you're, you're going to be okay.
1: Everything's just a little bit rosier and easier. So, that's what I love about training for sure. And I people yeah. have gotten too used to being comfortable um, in everything, right? A hundred percent temperature and you know, just general life. They want to be comfortable all the time. And that's that's not really good for you.
0: It's not good for you. And if that's you and you're listening to this and you're thinking about being an entrepreneur, better go work on that muscle first before you uh, even consider being in business because it is a whole world of emotions that you're probably not prepared for yet if you know getting up early or jumping in cold water training taking care of your body or whatever right it's it's hard for you as it is yeah absolutely so so let's talk about your businesses what do you got going on what you got a few things you got upcycle you got four pillar capital you're doing some consulting yeah what um Let's start with uh, let's start with Upcycle. Okay, what is that business, and how did you get into that?
1: Yeah, so Upcycle is a service company that services food and beverage manufacturers. Um, so we provide an uh, environmental economical solution for them on all of their waste streams. Okay, and so like the large scale chicken producers, um, prepared foods, they all generate a, a disposal product that gets all the way and. They have to pay a tip fee and a land disposal charge. We come in, our patent pending process treats that material, so saves them a ton of money every year. And then the byproducts that come out of it get sold back onto the market. And for, so for what use? Into biofuels, so we get a premium oil okay, um, and wow. then also a protein compound. So it's uh, biofuels, animal feed, large animal feed primarily, um fertilizer markets. Um, and so that's why we recently rebranded to upcycle within the last 12 months. Um, and upcycle is taking that waste stream and then upcycling it into a brand new product. Whereas like recycling, if you take an aluminum can, you melt it down, it turns into another aluminum can. And so we're actually going a step further. Um, that's amazing. So how
0: did, how the heck did you get into that business?
1: Um, yeah, so, uh, great, great, uh, question. It was... About 2007, um, I was with a group, and we started up a disposal facility in eastern Utah to service the oil and gas markets. And in oil and gas production, all these, all the wells produce flow back and produced water that needs to be hauled away and disposed of. Um, at the time, all of the Grand Junction, which is the Peance Basin Market, all of the water that was being generated in that area was hauled down to Aztec, New Mexico. And so you're talking 10 hours of trucking, Plus disposal fees, and so we built a facility in eastern Utah to handle all of that waste stream, and the business just exploded. Um, you know, we unloaded 400 trucks a day in periods of of high growth. Um, so, just for clarity's sake, like a transfer station, like they
0: were dropping it there, and then you guys were then hauling it off. You no, know, make- we were the end source. So, wh- when they would drop it off there, what would you guys do with it?
1: Yeah, so we built an evaporation pond facility, and Got so. It. They, um, they would drop it off in tanks and we would actually through gravity separation, recover some crude oil and that crude oil would get sold back onto the market. The treated water after our tank system would go into large lined evaporation ponds. So we built, we ultimately ended up building 26, five acre, um, 20 foot deep evaporation ponds in, uh, in eastern utah with a super high evaporation coefficient you know like 60 inches a year is is that just because
0: the the
1: lack of humidity and the it's arid and Mm -hmm. altitude and all that stuff yeah yeah yeah. dry dry climate um lots of sunlight um and then as that water evaporates it goes back into the hydraulic cycle um whereas like a disposal well they inject that material back into the ground back into a an already brackish aquifer and it's just gone forever yeah. um, so if you put it in a pond it, it can least evaporate re-enter the system cool um, and so it was really through kind of through all of that experience um, in the oil and gas industry we Even though we are putting the water back into the system, we knew that it wasn't a long-term play, right? You need to be able to treat it. You need to send it back. And so it kind of started the R&D phase of, hey, let's treat these waste streams, Um, figure out how to make another product, figure out how to not waste our resources. Um, And over a multitude of years, it uh, morphed into being able to take similar technology into food and beverage um, which was really just trying to find a industry that had more stability you know oil and gas has always been volatile Uh,
0: you're you're like the the third oil and gas guys that i've had on there they all say the same thing you're just at the kind of at the whim of the market and it's a global thing so sometimes it's just completely out of your hands
1: yeah feast or famine yeah i mean it it really is so.
0: so then you found a use case for it and then how did you go take that to the market i don't How do you, how do you go like, Hey, we got this thing for oil and gas. And now, you know, I know you do chickens, but we're going to help you save your waste there.
1: Right. How Um, do you do
0: that? How do you make that transition?
1: Yeah, it was through, through some technology partners. Um, and we had the opportunity to do a pilot for probably the largest, uh, chicken producer in the, in the U S. Um, so we did a pilot with them in Clarksville, Arkansas, um, which was a monumental step for a small startup out of Colorado to bring equipment to, um, you know, to this major player and actually show them what we could do. Um, is af- that,
0: is that like Tyson? It is. Tyson. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Cause you said Arkansas. So I'm yep. pretty sure that was where their headquarters are.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They're the, they're the giant. Yeah. Um, that's amazing. Yeah. It was, it, I mean, it's huge really. Yeah. And it, it spurred everything that this company has turned into. Um, so success there, rolled into a year of contract work into a year of site selection into a few years of building an actual permanent facility at one of their largest plants. Wow. Um, which yeah, is a, is a chicken processing facility. So um, real
0: quick, just for the timeline. So 2007, you guys start doing, taking frac frack water, basically separating it and doing all that. How long are you guys running that for?
1: Yeah. We sold that business, um, in, 2012 2012 yeah
0: and then from there moved into the the chicken business
1: yeah moved into the chicken business a couple of years later okay so so you sold it had a few
0: years of r&d get everything dialed getting that contract negotiated and then how long does it take you to get through the very first um sample test run with um the pilot with tyson
1: yeah so the pilot with tyson was december of 15 Okay, um, and then we turned the f- permanent facility on in two thousand and eighteen. So, after a long contract period and a long construction period, yeah, um turned it on in two thousand and eighteen, started running um, generating saleable commodities. Um, and it's been it's been an r and d road for a couple of years after two thousand and eighteen. so it's probably stabilized twenty twenty. 2019 2020 kind of stabilized the process was finished um as far as the r&d cycle and then really have just been focused on growing that business concept to other operators um which is i just point this out i just i like breaking down the timeline because it gives people like
0: a realistic perspective that they grossly overestimate what they can get done in a year and then they, they want to go too fast, right? Accuracy before speed, like that one contract and getting everything dialed in and just working with them to f- basically fund all of that R and D research effectively is now going to allow you to go very fast and scale the business right pretty quickly. So, or do you guys have other prospects in other States that you're working with right now?
1: Yes. Yeah. We've got a, uh, a facility under construction right now in Indiana. Um, so that site will start up in January, likely. Sweet. Um, we have another facility in South Carolina where equipment's being ordered and a facility in Arkansas where equipment's being ordered. Um, we, you know, take you back to the the energy facility that we talked about earlier. Yeah. That was like a central gathering concept, right? We're servicing lots of operators to bring their waste stream into us. We're taking that same model into this upcycle business. And so the South Carolina site and the Arkansas site, they'll service 30 poultry producers instead of just one, wow. um, whereas like the Tyson plant, it's on location just at Tyson, yeah. you know, on their property. Um, and so this allows us to scale even faster, you know, rather than deploying capital and operating at 30 sites, we're going to deploy, you know, one site worth of capital and handle 30 customers. And so yeah. that's an exciting transition that should come online next year. Dude, that <laughs>
0: that's freaking exciting. It's amazing. And it, getting into the fracking and then all this and that business, how did you, how did you get into that? how did you start there? Yeah. Is, it, is it, for some reason I feel like we talked about it somehow related to the family. You guys, it is. Family yeah. business.
1: Yeah. So, um, I went to, I went to undergrad at UNC, um, sports science major. Oh yeah. That's, um, right. that's and so right. right. And then,
0: uh, <laughs> yeah. physiology. Yeah. yeah. And so it.
1: as soon as you're done with that, you go into oil and gas, right? <laughs> yeah,
0: I go into commodities. Yeah. exactly.
1: So. Yeah. So very similar. Um, I had a couple of uh startup business concepts like between those periods of time um well,
0: let we gotta stop there what were those
1: um so i my uh the biggest one that I wanted to start was a golf training facility um mm-hmm. because it was right in that period of time where golf simulators were becoming popular yep. um and so I, there was a a canadian company that had the you know the best on the market and so I went up to Canada and looked at the units and um that was that was my idea I wanted to Bring that exercise science in, golf specific, have simulators, a training facility just for that. yeah Um it was uh it was a it was a good idea. It was just green, young, you know, and probably couldn't connect all those pieces. Yeah, um
0: the math on that feels like <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> There's actually a gym now in Fort Collins called Club Ten. Okay. Club ten? Ten twenty four. I don't know why ten twenty four. But, anyways, they have golf simula- simulators okay. in there, and then they have like nice gym equipment, and their whole target audience is golfers.
1: Yeah, <laughs> so kind of on you're kind zone. of capping yourself a little bit. I,
0: you know, I got my own opinions, but yeah. yeah.
1: Okay, so you yeah. do
0: that, and then what was the what was the second idea?
1: Yeah. Um, you said you. I've a always I've always been like idea business idea yeah side hustle. um, I don't know. There was was definitely more than one. (laughs) But that was the big one. Yeah, that was the big one. (laughs) And then you end up getting pulled into oil and gas because you're like, okay, I got to figure out how
0: to make some money here.
1: Yeah. So my, uh, yeah, my father-in-law is a world-renowned equine veterinarian um, and rancher. And so he had, him and some of his business partners had the ranch property that this disposal facility was located on. Um, And they... You know, it was brand new concept. They'd never been in that space. They just saw a need and wanted to fill it. Um, I was a recently graduated college student, um, not married to my wife yet. Um, we were just we were just dating at the time, um, and pitched to them that hey, you need a project manager for this. You need somebody to learn about the industry, somebody to oversee construction, kind of be your man on the ground. Um, presented Add, that, and adding value. Yeah, exactly.
0: And, and uh, they gave is, you that role and then it just evolved. So what's your official title now within the company?
1: Within this new company? Within, uh, yeah, Upcycle. Yeah, different. Um, I mean, we leveraged our experience a lot. Um, yeah. Different ownership. Okay, um, today, like operating, I'm the chief operating officer. Um, and so within the oil and gas uh process and businesses that we built. When we sold it, I actually worked for the private equity backed group for a while. Got it. Um, and so I was regional manager over all of our Rockies assets. Um, and so my, yeah, my background like physically is, is heavy operations processes systems. And so today I'm the COO. Um,
0: I just want to, I want to point this out because <clears throat> essentially what you did was like earned equity inside of a company. You were the operator And we, I think we were talking about this before the podcast, but when private equity comes in, they don't know how to operate that. They just see the financial model. And so somebody has to come in and operate it until you can find an operator to replace you, whatever that may be. Right. Um, But that's how you, that's one of the ways that you can do it, guys. That's one of the ways that you can make the transition is you don't necessarily have to go start your own company. You can leverage your talents and skills to consult for equity inside of a business Uh, and or buy a business or you know whatever it may be and then long game that grows into you know you can go be a chief operating officer of a company that you own right or or on a a lion's share of or a majority of yeah so that's amazing yeah so then along the way you've been doing real estate as well right which is
1: what four pillar capital is all about yeah four pillar capital Um, and you guys are doing storage facilities specifically right um any assets that make sense yeah um so yeah Opportunistic. Um, storage facilities, commercial real estate. Um, that would also be my holding company for any businesses acquired. Yep. Um, which is, you know, I look at a broad range of businesses. Yep. Um, four you- pillar is actually faith, family, fitness, and financial freedom. Let's go. Um, I love so that. It. Was that was the that was the basis for the brand. Um, so it's it's probably the newest um, formal company kind of within my focus. Uh, just over the last couple of years put that together
0: and you guys have how many storage facilities i think you got one in the pipeline that you're developing one that's already operating is there another one maybe one more
1: no there's uh yeah one that's operating that has development so the expansion will yeah triple its footprint wow um there's another one that just you know we look at a lot of deals but you have to pass on some deals too if you're doing it right yeah yeah um, so I have some commercial, some, uh, multi-tenant commercial industrial stuff in the pipeline, Sweet, um, but yeah.
0: And then do you have any other, other operating businesses that aren't like real estate related within the portfolio?
1: Um, yeah, so we do, we still do a little bit in the equine space. Okay. Um, so we, we had a, um, equine breeding and raising program. Um, we would buy thoroughbred mares and then sell the, yearlings and weanlings the next year. Um, kind of wound that business down a little bit. Um, we had some good success. Uh, raised a um, grade one winning uh, Philly oh, a wow. couple of years ago. And that's so they awesome. actually sent us over to the Breeders' Cup, um, which was what? pretty fun. About, out no, there.
0: That's amazing. Yeah.
1: Um, so that business is, is kind of on the on the down end um, for us personally. Uh, it gets hard to play in that kind of middle market. It's, you know, it's either bottom or top right um so lots of lots of capital and cash in that business Um, uh yeah
0: and it's it's uh it's not very scalable business unless you have the money into it you know it's you're hoping and praying that you're going to have the right horse that's going to you know make you the money that you need to really scale up or you got to go get a big investor or something like that to bring it to life Yeah. yeah exactly
1: Um, other than that, I do, I do some consulting for landowners to help them navigate the conservation easement process. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with conservation easements at all. Uh,
0: Uh, Yeah, a little bit, but why don't you talk about it a little bit? What's that entail?
1: Yeah. So a, a landowner, say a ranch owner can donate their property to a land trust. So say Cattlemen's Colorado agricultural land trust or, um, great outdoors or division of wildlife If they donate that property, they can receive a tax credit, which Mm. can then be monetized. Um, But it's a long and complicated process. And so I just help landowners kind of navigate all those steps. Um, And then they, at the end of the day, they get to conserve and and preserve their family's heritage ranch, do what they want to do, utilize some of those proceeds for working capital to reinvest. Um, And so it's, I mean, it's kind of twofold. It's, It's probably a passion project, but then also there's you know, there are some rewards for helping people get across the finish line. Oh, yeah. Um, but if you look at like a lot of our Western, you know, the Western part of the state, like preserving those areas from development, um, is critical for, yeah, hunting and fishing wildlife, um, as well as to keep those, those fi- family agricultural operations intact.
0: Yeah. hundred percent. And those build great relationships for other opportunities where you might want to yeah. buy deals or put deals together or whatever that may be for the real estate deals that you're, you're buying, mm-hmm. Are you primarily leveraging your own capital or are you raising money? What does that look like?
1: Just internal capital. Yeah. Yeah. So I've never, on the real estate side, never gone out and done any capital raising.
0: No, Uh, I I just ask that because I I think sometimes my my personal thesis is having a business is a much more lucrative way and scalable way to generate vertical capital that can then be deployed into stable cash producing assets. mm -hmm. That's how I think about it. But I think there is this sentiment right now that people think that they're just going to jump headfirst into the real estate business and go build their their wealth that way. Like syndication, super huge. We syndicate deals, but it's it's ultimately not that lucrative until you really get uh, the propulsion of capital and you get enough deals going over, call it five to ten years or something like that, or you're earlier in the cycle. So, like, I'm personally focused on building my businesses up to create more assets, but also income that can then be deployed on the personal finance side to offset, you know, I never know what's going to happen to that business. I don't know what's going to happen in the real estate business or in the fitness space in the future, but I do know that real estate is going to be there forever. Right. So it's a way for me, it's a store of value for me, for lack of a better term. So
1: increasing your active income so that you can utilize it to build passive income.
0: A hundred percent. Yeah. With the end game being, Right, replace it, replace your active income with 100% passive income. So, yeah,
1: that's yeah, awesome. real estate is kind of a you know, get rich slowly, get rich long term. Yep. Um, but you have to, yeah, you have to have a, f- a funnel of capital to feed into that.
0: Yeah, 100%. Awesome. So, obviously, you got four pillar, you got upcycle. What's the 10 year vision for you? You know, 10 years from now, we're sitting down having a conversation. And you're like, this was the plan the whole time. I got it figured out. What's the end game?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> um, you know, it's like I'm a big, I'm a big goal focused person. Um, pretty tactical about my day and about yeah, one year, three year, ten year goals. Um, with Upcycle, our plan for that company is is a liquidation event. Um, you know. Have uh, have something, have an asset to sell to somebody else to carry it to that next step. Yep. Um, so within ten years, hopefully earlier than ten years, uh, you know we experience that point in time. Yep. Um, utilize a lot of that capital to do what we just talked about is is grow more of the passive, uh, less intensely focused um, asset building. You know yep. whether it's it's real estate or bolt on businesses. Um, I do really like boring businesses in niche segments you know things i think that things that aren't sexy get undervalued oh yeah um, they get underappreciated but there's a plethora of, of cash flow opportunities for those um what would the, be what would be in a, a boring business that you kind of like um well, storage used to be that yeah um, Now every, every private equity mom
0: and their mom is going after storage
1: right um yeah i've looked at you know, I've looked at the FedEx route businesses. I think that those are easily bolt-on bolt uh, businesses. They're pretty boring. Um, I think services, general service businesses get kind of overlooked because they're boring.
0: Like uh, services like HVAC or something like that or even even more general?
1: Yeah, even more general. Um, I don't know if I love the businesses that require a lot of technical expertise, mm-hmm. honestly um like i don't know if i'd buy an hvac business yeah um but standard services where you don't have any employee bottlenecks i mean you got to have good people to be able to run Thanks things to. um so it that's probably pretty broad and non descriptive no it's but.
0: good i mean I, i'm just uh i'm currently in the process of really pinning down my core thesis for buying businesses mm-hmm. and um i really like the blue collar industry because everybody's like tech, tech, tech and yada, yada, yada. And my, my response to that is, you know, when Elon's heater goes out, like it doesn't matter how much money that guy has, he's calling HVAC guy. Yeah. (laughs) So good point. So there's, there's something to be said about that. And there's definitely a lack of skills in that area. So I I would say that it's harder to maybe find talent. But I, I also think that's just a brain block because the way that they've been attracting talent in that industry for so long is very old school. Right. They don't think about attracting talent like I do, which is talent's just like a lead. And the lead, 90% of the research process is done before they ever pick up the phone. So I'm trying to figure out how do I tell the story so they understand what it's like to work here and what it's like to build a life here and leave that company and come work for me because the pay is better and the benefits are better and the culture is better. Yeah. Nobody's telling that story. You can go to any HVAC company right now, any contracting com- company right now. And the story on what it's like to actually work there, where you're going to spend maybe 20 years of your life, is just complete garbage. So I feel being a marketer with good perspective, and understand how to build a brand, that I can win, even though I don't know shit from balloons about <laughs> how to right. fix a heater. Right? You know what I mean? So, but it's all about you know understanding what your competitive advantage is and where you can fit into the market. So, right? That's just my thought process. But I'm I'm just asking you because I'm trying to yeah. figure out what mine is. Right. <laughs> Not that I actually know. So. Yeah, I think you have to
1: look at a lot to find the right stuff.
0: Yeah, and for us, it's been finding good portfolio entrepreneurs who we feel have the skill set to manage those companies within the ecosystem or or uh, run it. Because I can't run them all, right? I might be able to run one or two, but you know, if if we want to have a hundred million dollar, you know, private equity portfolio companies, like that's going to require a lot of great people to do that. You know, so that that's ultimately what our end game is. So.
1: It has to be scalable. Yes, um, which eliminates a lot of things if you start peeling back the layers.
0: Oh man, one hundred percent. What's your definition of scalable? Because I feel like that term gets thrown around a lot. Yeah, I have my own definition <laughs> of it, but I'd just be interested to know what you think when you say scalable.
1: It, yeah, I mean you you don't hit a you don't hit a a peak like okay. So we buy a, an HVAC company um, and it's based in Windsor, Colorado. I mean, at, at some point. Windsor continues to grow, right? And so you've got some revenue growth there, but at some point it's hard to get that business from Windsor into Colorado Springs, into Dallas, Texas, into, you know, Florida. Um, I want it to be scalable where you can take it, take it anywhere you want, um, continue to grow it, um, not be geographically limited. Um,
0: But I mean, that's the power of franchising, or yeah. like what CrossFit did with the business opportunity. Holy cow, they hacked the system on that one. Granted, you lose a lot of quality control and the CrossFit mm-hmm. brand got pretty damaged, I think, as a byproduct of just letting anybody who could take a weekend course and pay five thousand bucks can yeah. open a gym. But that's yeah, really you know, yeah. besides the point, you know. So I was just interesting to 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 pick your brain and see how you think about it. You because know, scale to me is really just being able to leverage technology process. And maybe people, in order, in an attempt to keep my expenses as fixed as possible while my revenue grows, mm-hmm. where growth is my revenue and my expenses are climbing at the same rate, so my margin never effectively effectively gets better, right? But scale you can just also more mean work to do. scale can also mean you know can we just is this a blueprint that we can take and you know span across another city or state or whatever that may be yeah which has its own set of challenges too because like even like the way that real estate's done in colorado versus the way it's done in arizona can be very different yeah you know that's awesome so so where's your where's your family fit into this whole equation you know behind every good entrepreneur great entrepreneur is an even stronger woman yeah um so let's talk about that for a little bit what's your what's your wife's thought on like owning a business and being an entrepreneur. Cause I know for me that wasn't as easy. I wanted to like, I was like a, I'm a build a parachute on the way down or at least I used to be kind of guy. Okay. Is she on board with the whole entrepreneurship? Just jump in and go do it. Or is she seek a
1: little bit more security? It, yeah. Great. Great question. I think, I mean, prime first, first and foremost, like behind every financial or economic goal that I set, yeah, my biggest why is always my family. Yeah, you know, I mean, so at the end of the day, if what I'm doing doesn't benefit my family or doesn't bring me closer to my family, then it's you know the the purpose is lost. You know, so the family is the why. Um, my wife is amazingly strong and supportive in anything that we do, and she always has been. Um, she grew up in an entrepreneurial household, you know, so that helps a lot. Um, um, but she's Yeah, she's a strong lady um, who's uh, a hard charger and an ambitious herself, um, who's very supportive of our family and in the growth. Um, She can see kind of where we're going. Um, She supports those goals. Um, But then she also has a professional career on her own. Um, She's recently promoted to the director of Um, individualized education at RCS. And so she is going to build a legacy program at that school district to service both sides of the equation, you know, gifted and talented and special needs um, and really build, build that program there. So she's, yeah, she's disciplined and driven in her own way as well.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I asked that question too, because I think sometimes as entrepreneurs, it can be really hard charging and forget that our wives didn't necessarily sign up for this um so making sure you're on the same page is so vital one of the things that casey and i do is once a year fourth quarter typically we'll sit down and we'll cast like what's our 10-year vision what do we got to get done in the next three years very much like how a business would operate you know what's our lifetime checklist of things that we want to get done how much money do we want to give away and get we've been especially as of late getting really clear on like what is that you know because in about 10 years our girls are going to be out of the house you know so our game plan is to make sure when they're out that we can no matter where they go be there and continue to have that relationship because yeah obviously we want them to have their own and fly the coop and do all that but i don't want to miss that time you know i definitely felt like there were times when my parents personally were financially limited in their ability to come and visit or see me and uh it made us grow apart quite a bit um so i don't ever want to be limited by that but right i think if you're just listening to this and you're aspiring to make that transition as an entrepreneur and you know, it's definitely important to make sure your wife and you guys are on the same page and you have the same shared vision because at some point it'll cause a conflict if it doesn't yeah. or or in some people in some cases it makes them grow apart you know because they're just not supporting each other or whatever that may be
1: yeah so i think you, you see that a lot in the like in health and fitness too, um, oh, yeah. You know, like one spouse wants to focus on on eating right, yeah. and the other spouse does not, and it causes big problems. Um, Dude, that's so such a great point. You're absolutely right.
0: We, I mean, owning owning a gym, we got sixteen trainers, and that is a huge conversation. Sometimes people come in, you know, they're very overweight, call it three hundred pounds. They should probably be like closer to like one hundred fifty pounds. And the very first question is. Where's your spouse at on this? Are they coming in to train?
1: They've uh, got to support. them. Are they
0: going to be here? Are they doing it? Are they eating healthy? Because if not, this shit is not going to work out long term. Right. And inevitably, in all the times when we've neglected to do that, there's this pull, you know, where they're pulled out, and all of a sudden, conveniently, they stop showing up or whatever it may be.
1: Yeah. Or they, you know, they get judged by their spouse and judged, rag yeah. on for the by their spouse.
0: So. Yeah, which is the craziest misery loves company. That is the definition of misery loves company. Yeah, absolutely. Can't be having you looking too hot now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. How about your kids raising, raising entrepreneurial kids? Um, my wife and I are on, on a kick on that, making sure our kids are understand money and finance and how to, how to make money. But do you guys do that with
1: your kids? We do. Um, and it's fun. It's fun teaching them that and letting them experience it. And you know, then you see their creative ideas um, get brought forward. And I think it's because of those conversations. Yeah. Um, so we definitely, yeah, try to implement in that, that into our kids' lives.
0: Yeah. And how old are they?
1: Uh, 12 and 10. Okay. So our so son is 12 um, and then a daughter is 10. Do, and do they, like when you guys talk about like the real estate that you guys own do they feel like
0: they're a part of that business, like the family business? Or is it like, no, that's mom and dad's business and we got our own little thing over
1: here? I th- No, that's a great question. I think that they feel like they're part of it. Yeah. Um, like uh, my daughter especially, she likes going to the to the storage facility and playing storage right yeah. you know playing that that person that's helping people out yeah um, somebody rings the bell and yeah
0: yeah she walks up to the front yeah
1: absolutely yeah she loves that that's um amazing. and she started recently she started thinking about investments in businesses um the other day actually she was talking with my wife and talking about how where she wanted to try to go to college and you know if, if she went someplace warm you know maybe we could buy a house and and rent it out and then that you know so house she's, hacking yeah <laughs> house hacking she's already thinking about house hacking. i love it um as a 10 year old um, that's amazing so it yeah it comes pretty pretty natural to her has been growing did,
0: did you have those conversations uh as a kid with your family growing up
1: um you know so we grew up uh in blue collar um uh, small town yeah um my dad was a uh, hvac uh, mechanic service mechanic okay which um, might be your um
0: Apprehension. Maybe, to into that yeah
1: he was he was a, a heck of a hard worker though yeah. i mean he he instilled lots of work ethic into us um and you know if, if you look at like side hustles he was probably pretty instrumental in my desire to always have another side hustle yeah um even growing up like he'd he'd help us collect aluminum cans and then we'd take him to the salvage yard and you know get money for it yeah um or you know raise raise animals to sell to our neighbors and so there was always a hack of make a little extra money um and he never he ne- was never able to really scale and step out of the blue collar he did start a business but he was self employed by himself yep. um and so he was he was really te- technician focused um but drew lots of good values in us yeah uh,
0: the, uh, my dad was the same way you know my dad had been rocking since, on his own since he was 13 and a lot about his age and to get a job and all that. That's how he got into carpentry and cabinetry and all that stuff. But he had, he too had a business a couple of times and just never quite was able to break out of that into the next phase. What do you think are the things that keep them from kept your dad from kind of making that transition to being like an actual business owner?
1: Yeah. I think for my dad, it was, it's probably the people side, just mm-hmm. afraid to hire people. Who wouldn't do the same quality of job that he could do, you know? And so, he's like, a craftsman, yeah, he's a craftsman. He's a technician. He knows he knows how to do it the best, right? right. Um, and so, I don't think he ever had any desire to hire anybody. Like that sounds like terrible brain damage, yeah, to to him or to that mindset, yeah. So,
0: yeah, I think I think for my dad, I, I just think that he loved to get his hands on it. Nobody could do it as good as him, but I I just think that he didn't know how to orchestrate the business or the finances of the business in order to make that make sense. Right. Like, because he wasn't a sales guy, he didn't understand how to incent a salesperson to be selling jobs on a commission schedule, which really doesn't cost them much out of pocket. Right. To be able to get ahead of all the jobs. Cause it was just railroad track thinking like this job's done. Oh crap. What do I got to do next? You know? Right. And so I wish had, i been older that I could have been able to help him make that transition. But it's funny now that I'm, I'd always told myself, like, I don't ever want to be in that business. But then I look at the numbers and I understand how to like manage people and process and systems. I'm like, if you can figure it out and you can run a high level successful contracting company, there's a ton of money in in that industry. So that's probably why I'm intimately familiar with how that business works, even though I haven't done the work. Don't ask me to swing cameras. It's like, It'll piss me off. I fucking hate it. When I was a kid, I was like, I just want to go skateboard. I do not want to come help you in the shop. Have fun. I'm going to go work on kickflips. You know, right. he was like, all right, see you later. You know, yeah, so, yeah that's interesting. Um. Okay. Awesome, man. Well, what do you got to get done in the next, say, three years from where you're at right now to be on pace for that 10 year goal of being able to move completely into that investor role and uh, just have businesses and assets that you oversee or you're on the board for you know whatever that might be
1: yeah um so on the on the upcycle front you know we need to continue to perform on these new projects um so we're yeah we're scaling and growing right now you know so that's uh that's a capital scale that's a human resource scale um it's figuring out how to um not be limited by supply chain issues, you know, like doing projects on the tail end of COVID has been tough. Right. Um, You order a piece of equipment it takes eight months to get there. You know, that doesn't work. Um, So really it's, it's taking it from, you know, one site to multiple sites, uh, streamlining the startup phase, streamlining the end operations and then putting the right people in the right place. Yeah. I think we've got a pretty good executive team, um, you know, Org chart, if you will, at the top today. Um, so we just need to build it out a little further um, and continue to provide that value to you know to our customers. Um, so that you know, sh- short term, next couple of years, we'll bring multiple multiple facilities online within that business. How many employees
0: do you think you're going to need to bring on to f- facilitate that?
1: You know, it's pretty efficient. Um, we're five to seven employees per site oh, wow. um, as far as boots on the ground. Um, and then you've got, you've got back end support requirements as well. So, you know, our accounting team needs to grow a little bit and, yeah. um, get some, get some more help on the human resource sourcing, you know, sourcing side of things. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's all very achievable. Um, yeah.
0: what, what type of role or function kind of boots on the ground operates day to day? What does that look like? Is facility operator is that what you would call it or yeah. yeah
1: yeah yeah facility manager and then facility operator um so there'll be one manager and then one kind of secondary lead um you know team lead and then uh just shift operators from there um, okay so they come in and you know we run like at our tyson plant and at this other plant in indiana will run three shifts throughout the day and there'll be one shift off Got it. Um, but ultimately we're there to service the food manufacturer. Um, you know, so if they're processing, we have to be processing as well because so right. you can't disrupt, you know, what they're doing on that end. Um, it's just, that's a non-starter. Yeah,
0: that makes sense. And then what about, um, what do you got to do on the four pillar side to be on pace in the next three years for your 10 year target?
1: Yeah. Four pillar, um, four is probably still in a, or is always in a vision sort of recreation mode, like trying to figure out, um, you know, I look at a lot of opportunities. It's very opportunistic focused, um, continue to bolt on assets, uh, which helps from a tax standpoint, um, deployment of capital. And so that's, that's really my focus. And then I like buying value add properties too, that have expansion capability. And so, the fun thing about commercial real estate is it's all valued on cap rate as you know Yep. and so when you you come in you buy something you can tweak some levers increase that cap rate increase the value use that value creation to expand it um, and then further increase the value and so that's
0: buy, add the value refinance redeploy the capital into the property do it over again
1: do it over again not everybody's
0: Commercial real estate proficient is listening, so that's nice. the summary. those are the cliff notes, guys, yeah, <laughs> we got what uh our friend Brandon okay Greedy came on here, you know, and like we just we got down the rabbit hole talking about cap rates and debt, and I like looked back, picked my head up, and was like, "Wow, we went way too deep on that stuff, so <laughs> yeah, and i didn't I didn't do a good job of actually like unpacking that, so
1: you need to put a disclaimer before listening to this <laughs> podcast, read this book, drink coffee, yeah. it's gonna get boring, yeah." <laughs>
0: Brandon sharp. Yeah, he's super sharp. He's killing it as well. Um, awesome. Yeah, when it comes to storage, I mean, I don't think anybody's done more storage than that guy. It, he's done
1: well. done well. Yeah, He's yeah. done
0: like nine transactions a year in the storage space. Yeah, it's killing it. Pretty
1: impressive. Yeah, he's
0: an impressive dude. Um, well, what are some of the biggest roadblocks you're up against right now? Obviously, you mentioned that you have um, some supply chain issues. Which I think everybody who's building any kind of infrastructure is going through, but what else do you guys troubled with and and maybe we can riff on that and talk about maybe some ideas on how to move forward from it
1: yeah the the timely appropriate growth of human resources Mm. um is probably always sort of a burden um you know you're you're hiring people in some cases you're hiring people making an investment in them until they're really ready to fulfill that role right um whereas like needing people desperately and not being able to find them um, so that sort of the timing balance of human resource and just growing that team is always a little challenging, I think. Yeah. Um, cause you don't, I mean, the last thing you need is a monster payroll, yep. uh, when you don't, when the business isn't ready to support it. Um, but if the business needs them, you, you gotta have them.
0: How long does it take to get somebody trained up to operate? Yeah. A couple,
1: I mean, it's a couple of weeks, um, maybe a little longer. We'll use our North Carolina facility as like a training ground, okay. um, so actually send some employees there, let them learn the ropes, and so that's really helpful yeah that's uh, great. these other sites will be a little more complicated, but the more that we can cookie cutter and standardize our process, the easier it is to implement, the easier it is to go through training and bring those sites online.
0: yeah, things to think about because I was at one point responsible for hiring one hundred and fifty people a year, and so I know the pain points that come along with that. Things that I didn't know when I got into that was for every 10 months that somebody stays in the same role, they're about 10% more likely to turn out. So if they came on and they were whatever, 80% on board in 10 months, they'll be 70% on board. Okay. And so it's just thinking about like upward mobility. What's the path of growth for those people, even if it's just slight and it's not always about compensation. Sometimes it's about professional development. So those are things we didn't think about Okay. our onboarding and training program. Um, wasn't as tight as it could be. Sounds like you guys have a little bit better training ground for that. Um, but it was a lot of like, we needed to get better at documenting and processing and coming up with like what we would call our way playbook. Like this is how we do things because when we didn't, it left a, a lot of esoteric knowledge, um, meaning trapped in people's heads so that they would resort to the, Hey Justin, just watch me do it. Which is great until all of a sudden that trainer person leaves, (laughs) and then you're up shit creek without a paddle. Yeah. Um, And then as we started to grow at scale, you're just going to have natural churn. So what we would do is we were getting behind the eight ball and and not proactively using the metrics and the data, the predictability of our churn. And so we would always be a day late and a dollar short on hiring. So we were waiting until we need needed people, but we knew based off of growth and. uh, based off of natural churn new sales exactly how many people that we needed okay P- predictable like so you had that marker so you know i could tell you that i was going to lose six marketing account managers every single quarter and so i would pre-hire based off of sales and book growth and then i would get the call like why are you hiring so many people and i'm like give me till friday with the end of the quarter somebody's gonna quit <laughs> it was just like inevitable they, that they will. yeah and it, so it happened like clockwork and uh, when we didn't do that we were always a day late and a dollar short the concern was always our payroll's too heavy. I'm like, well, it's too heavy for like 30 days. And it's not like we're, we just hired a hundred people. We hired like an extra five people because we knew this churn was going to happen. Right. And like clockwork, it would happen. So you can build a financial model that will start to give you that predictability of what you're trying to, the question that you're trying to answer. How long does it take us to train up? How many people will we need? What's the timeline to hire? Does it take us 30 days to hire 90 days to hire? You know, and you can you can back into all of that stuff, and then right. have a predictable model that'll tell you, which is helpful because when you go to sell the business, then you can plug that in as a as an equation.
1: Yeah, have you found it harder to hire people currently? I I've
0: heard that a bunch, and when I generally ask people what their approach is to hiring people, it's an afterthought. Okay. So, for example, if you were trying to source a new customer, how would you go about doing that? Just put a little page on your site and sit on your hands? No. No, you would proactively come up with a strategy to try to track down, source, uh, um, inspire and help them make a decision before they ever got on the phone with you. So, they're not we're not treating recruiting like a lead attraction because it's been good. We've we've been in a quote unquote easy cheap money, you know, you don't even have to be that good or profitable in order to grow grow your business, right? Yeah but you want to if you want to see the people that are actually winning and who went out long term they're building companies with irreplaceable people they're incredibly good at attracting talent retaining talent training talent getting them to buy into the culture long term so that people don't actually want to leave because right now it's just like oh well, I can go I can google or go on LinkedIn right now and I can look up like mid-level remote jobs that make I don't know 85 to 100k and find I think last time I looked, it was like 6,500 opportunities. Wow. So that's what you're up against, yeah. right? So, you know, you you got to understand who your client, your employee is and what, what are they thinking about? Where are they searching? What are their opportunities? Nobody thinks like that, right? They just hire, because they don't, and then because they don't think about it, they go and hire some recruiting firm who has some special knowledge when in reality, they're doing the same shit, you know what I mean? So, yeah. So it's just a becoming a talent attraction strategy is what I call it. And nobody thinks like that.
1: Yeah. Why do, why do people want to come work for you?
0: Yeah. And if you know that they're likely to churn out, why do they want to stay? Right. Right. We already know what that looks like. So we should be doing things to circumvent that just like we do for customers.
1: I think it was the uh, Zappos CEO when he would, they would hire people, bring them through their training um, process, you know, a couple of weeks. And then he would say, you can either take this job or you cannot take this job, and I'll pay you, you know, next month, anyways.
0: Oh, wow. um,
1: and you know, one story. out of five people would turn it down. And he said, "Well, that just saves me from having to fire them down the road." Right? That's genius. Yeah, yeah pretty good idea.
0: I'm gonna maybe consider doing that. Yeah, that's amazing. All right, well, we'll we'll wrap it on this, man. I appreciate okay. you. You've been a wealth of knowledge. I never thought I'd be talking about how to upcycle chicken waste, um, but that's incredible. Let's just say an entrepreneur scrolling on LinkedIn or YouTube or TikTok, I'm watching this right now and they need some encouragement or motivation to make that transition from being employed to go doing their own thing. What would you tell them?
1: Yeah. I I mean, it is, it is scary. It's a scary step. Um, worth, worth it for sure. You know, the freedom that it brings in, um, the, it allows you the ability to architect your life. Um, I would say go for it. I mean, if that's, if that's your passion and that's tugging on you you got to do it it'll never go away i love that lifestyle design
0: well i appreciate you dude if people want to connect with you follow along with your journey what are the best social platforms for them to do that on
1: um i'm on insta justin space colorado um i'm on linkedin cool uh not a heavy social uh user but i'm there all right well if you ever want to have that conversation about how to build your brand i got you as well
0: i'm the master of that so cool man i appreciate you i love you dude and i can't wait to do this again. All right. Thanks, brother. Thanks.